When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Over the next few podcasts, we're working in partnership with Beer52. To get a free case of eight unique beers, head to www.beer52.com forward slash wisdom or use the code wisdom at beer52.com when ordering and cover just a postage costs of $5.95. Beer52 is the world's largest beer club with over 175,000 active members. Each month, members sent a case with a different theme. Past themes have included Belgium, North and South Korea, California, New Zealand, and many more. This week, we had a delivery to the office, and the escapist IPA from Temperance Beer Company was an absolute winner. Your package comes with a magazine and two snacks, and if you don't like dark beer, you can choose the light option. And you can pause or cancel your subscription at any time. So head to www.beer52.com forward slash wisdom to order your package today. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast, a slightly different show for you today. We've got pre-recorded interviews with 100 Star and one of the CPL's latest signings, Jake Lintert, and Glamorgan's one-day cup winning skipper, Kieran Carlson, who's also been one of the standout first-class batsmen in the country this year. Butch is on the road covering the blast, but we'll still hear his thoughts on England ahead of the third India Test. And in the studio, I'm joined by magazine editor of Wisdom Cricket Monthly, Joe Harmon, and features editor of Wisdom.com, Tar Hashim. We'll kick things off with Butch, who I spoke to early today. England have announced a chain squad for this test. Sibley, Crawley out, Milan in. Woods out, injured. Saqib and Overton are the spare quicks in the squad. Butch, what do you make of the decision to bring in Milan? Um, I think it's a good decision, really. It's pretty pragmatic. It's been calling for for somebody of, of a bit of experience to sort of join Joe Root in that top order for, for a while now. Um, I mean... It, I suppose you, you could say that the advantage of the amount of runs that he made in first-class cricket has been has sort of is now no longer relevant because of the, uh, the the amount of time that's passed since he played any Red Bull stuff. But I think it's better that than um, than guys who are kind of trying to make their way um, and have had failure upon failure kind of uh, bank up behind them. Um, and what England need is a bit of solidity. So hopefully. Milan will provide that and of course massive incentive for him is that with the Ashes coming up um, there is a spot there he's made runs in Australia before and you know according to previous selectors 
he uh, he can only bat in Australian conditions um, and not in English ones. So uh, he's got a real chance to get himself on that plane. Yeah, it's interesting. He's never batted in the top three in Test cricket, and his record in England really really isn't that good. But I completely get what you're saying. Um, on on the Wood replacement question, um, Mahmood seems to be the the people's pick to replace Wood. From what you've seen of him, do you think he's ready to be a Test cricketer? Yeah, I think so. And, and I think you also have to look at what he's replacing as well. Um, you know, England have have the uh, you know the the, the the seam up nagging accuracy um, uh, you know contingent covered don't they in, in Anderson and, and Robinson um, and presuming that that Sam Curran plays again I mean I, I'm I'm not sure that that's that's the way I would go but anyway that that's by the by that's not the question you're asking and so in, in replacing would you'd want to replace him with Saqib, somebody who has a little bit, bit of extra pace, a little bit of X factor, might help them out knocking, a t- knocking the tail over, which England obviously had an absolute nightmare with um, at Lords. So yeah, that's the way I'd go to. And while I've got you, it's been 20 years since your famous 173 at Leeds. Just very quickly, what are your thoughts as you cross that milestone? Um, I ju- I'm just, I'm very old. That's basically it. <laughs> I'm very, very old. Um, and you know, I'm still, I'm still very grateful for that, for that day. It kind of, um, it changed a lot of things in my life, and um, and I'm still, I'm still living off it now. <laughs> well, I was um, digging some stats out for this week, and I saw that you averaged over 50 in home tests this century from a pretty good sample size, which, which is pretty good, pretty good. Anyway, um, enjoy your week in the blast. Um, I'm sure you'll tell us all about it next week. Yes, indeed, indeed. That juke ball is not as dangerous as they say it is, you know. <laughs> So, Hart, we picked out the 11s we'd like to see England select for Wisdom.com yesterday. With so many first-choice players missing, it doesn't look hugely inspiring. <laughs> right, okay, I'll beat the start of the day. Um, yeah, I mean, you say that, but I think uh, we're expecting to see Dawid Milan at three. I think that's a, a pretty positive selection. I think that's the it's probably the right move. I think people have been talking about it. but um, And a lot's been said about the fact that he's not had much red ball prep, much like the the rest of that team before the series. Um, but if you look to his record over just the last three years, every time he has faced a red ball, he's done really well. I think he's averaging, since the start of 2019, uh, when he was at Middlesex, he's averaging 56 or something with a bat in first-class cricket. Um, ever since he's joined Yorkshire, every time he, he bats in, in red ball cricket for them, he, he gets runs. Um, but beyond that, it's also just the fact that this is a player who we know he can he can handle international cricket. He's he's done it as England's T20 number three. Of course, that's a different format, a whole different ball game. But there's still the, the the almost reliability that he's he he can sort of handle that pressure, that scrutiny of playing international cricket. I mean, he's he's been batting in a very scrutinised position for the last two years as England's T20 number three. So that's that's a mental thing that you have to deal with, and he's he's dealt with it pretty well, I think. Um, so. I think that's a that's a that's a that's one reason to be optimistic if you're an England fan. Uh, Mark Wood getting injured, having bowled really quite well in that last test, is obviously a reason to be downbeat. Um, but what we kind of uh, we might see is a is a debut for Saqib Mahmood, um, who's really looked the part this summer in county championship when he played against Pakistan in those ODIs. He, he bowled brilliantly, and he's that. You can always see he's that kind of point of difference bowler. That's slightly different from just your right arm metronomic. He's 
He's right arm, but he's slingy. He's got the nice scene position, but he's also someone who reverses it. So there's an excitement there, but he's obviously battling with Craig Overton, who's who's been in and around squads and actually really does deserve a go at some point. Um, and so we'll see what happens there. I mean, there's also the possibility, I was thinking, you know, um, with with Sam Curran, whether he kind of... The, the magic kind of isn't there right now with him. And... For me, he's. I've talked about him playing at seven because I I do see him as an all rounder, and it would weird it'd be weird to dig him up as an all rounder now he's coming off a pair. Um, but if he's not that all rounder, sort of balancing the side, if you're going to go for the fourth seamer at, at eight, I'm thinking maybe Overton fits at the bill right now, uh, and he's someone who can who can bat as well. And so you'd have Overton and Mahmood. Uh, whether England uh, go down that route, I, I don't know. But yeah, like you said, there's just so many injuries, lots of you know, opportunities for players coming back in, new players, and we'll see what happens. England obviously have not been in a in the greatest position. They're not in the greatest position, but um, I wouldn't say it's all doom and gloom. Joe, what, <laughs> what do you think? What do you think about Milan's recall? Um, a look at the England team now with Milan back in it, Besto in it, Moeen in it. Three players you wouldn't really expect to be playing home test matches a year ago and being ahead of the likes of Oli Pope and Dan Lawrence in the pecking order. What, what do you make of Milan's return? Yeah, by the time we get to the Ashes, we might have exactly the same team as we went to <laughs> with the Ashes last where's, time. Where's Jake great. Ball? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I think I said last week on the show that I would have perhaps tried to get Ollie Pope back in at, at three, but I can absolutely understand that would be a risk given he hasn't played much cricket, given his form hasn't been great. I can see that Milan is the sensible, pragmatic option at this stage. Sure, yeah, he's not played much Red Bull cricket, but none of them have really. Um, and the ones that have haven't gone so well so I, I can see it's a sensible move I think the jury's out he hasn't got a great record when he's played home test in England he hasn't got a very good record at all in fact um, but he does seem to be a better player now than when he last got his chance so that, yeah I think the right pick we'll just have to hope it works out um, I and Taha raising the point about Sam Curran I would I would go I wouldn't pick him for this test I would go Overton and Mahmood get them both in I think Overton Robinson 8-9 is, is fine really Um Butler, Moen, six and seven is a bit of a concern based on weight of runs, but we're not able to fix that at this point. And I don't think Sam Curran is adding a hell of a lot more with the bat than Craig Overton at this point. Overton's had a really good year with the bat for Somerset earlier in the year. So that's the way I'd go. We'll have to see. Yeah, I'd go exactly the same, actually. Um, on Milan, I think it is quite interesting that, you know, you can always manipulate stats to tell the story that you want them to say. So you you gave the example of him averaging 57 in first-class cricket since the start of 2019 but he he also averages 20 at home test matches has the third worst average among top six batsmen to play six or more home tests for England this century uh, he's never batted three in test cricket he's only batted once in first class cricket this year and though he scored 199 there were three teenagers and a 20 year old in the Sussex attack he faced against so I'm not writing him off at all he's a player I'd have picked that optimism but... <laughs> that Taha just been built up has just been burst yeah, immediately I, I, no, I completely being, get being accused of being manipulative as well <laughs> yeah. I completely completely get why England have picked him I'd have picked him as well <laughs> this is this yeah. is the these are the times that we live in yeah. at the moment um, and Joe on, on Mahmood uh, I think there's probably I'd pick him but there's probably a 50-50% chance maybe slightly more that he plays um, what do you think we can expect from him if he does play I think it's hugely exciting I think we've been talking about him for a long time and we thought White Ball was his best route into England's side couldn't really quite see how he'd get into the Red Bull team for a while and then England had just been decimated with injuries particularly the bowlers who can crank it up above 85 miles an hour so suddenly he has become incredibly valuable uh, and particularly looking ahead to this this winter 
Mark Wood's injury is, is hopefully only a minor thing that should be fixed, but we know his track record is not good. He's not going to get through five Ashes tests. Um, Joffre is obviously not going to be seen. So Mahmood has suddenly been kind of elevated from hugely exciting, promising talent to being actually potentially really quite key to the next few months for England. And I think it's absolutely right to get him in for this for this game. He would be my first pick of those three, of Overton, Curran, Mahmood. And then I would lean towards Overton for the fourth pick. I, I think England have to take a look at him. I think he, not only the way he bowled in that, uh, the kind of the ODI replacements series, uh, but the way he led that attack and the way he grasped that responsibility. And he's clearly a very smart bowler. Um, so I think that's hugely exciting. Can't wait to see him. For, for me, it's it, I've kind of been excited by him as a red ball bowler ever since watching um, that game for, for Lanx against Yorkshire earlier this season where he kind of bowled, bowled Lanx to the win. And you could see just the, the, the fact that he was like, he'd, he'd come back at the end of the day and still bowl, you know, rapid. He was getting the ball to, to tail in and he was just, it was him and, and Parkinson from the other, Parkinson from the other end. And it was just, it was just exciting to watch. And um, yeah, we'll see if, we'll see if he and, gets And Joe Root really bigged him up yesterday. I think so. Yeah. And you know, he's been, <laughs> I mean, they're, they're playing reasons to big him up. I mean, just the way, like, well, like we said, you know, the way he, he kind of led that attack against Pakistan. It was, um, it was it was impressive. It's, it was a side of him that we'd not seen since he'd come into international cricket, where he'd been he'd been bigged up initially in 2019, but it kind of had been quiet and not really made that sort of impression that we thought he was going to. And now I think ever since he's come back from the PSL earlier this year, he's sort of he's really looked the part. He's looked the bowler that that people were talking about. That felt quite a significant tournament for him, didn't it? And I think just to manage expectations a bit here as well. I mean, the, the performance that um, Taha mentions at heading, that was his first five-wicket haul in first-class cricket, I think. He hasn't taken one since, not that he's played much mm-hmm. since. So, you know, these these stats don't jump out. He's definitely one of those players, unlike Overton and Robinson, who have built a kind of unanswerable case in championship cricket. Mahmood hasn't done that. His is based on potential and what we actually see in front of us when he plays now, whatever the format. Uh, and there's definitely enough there for him to deserve this. But we should also remember that he's actually only played... How many he's played? Twenty-two first-class games. That's not that's not a lot at all. And he's not had a proper season of first-class cricket, partly because he keeps getting pulled into England squad. So every reason to be excited, but let's also manage expectations. Let's not get overly excited and then say, oh, he's he's not up to it. If if an innings don't quite go the way we want it to, because there's every chance that will happen, doesn't mean he's not a hugely exciting prospect. It's actually for that reason is why I'd pick Overton ahead of Curran. Is is that? Mahmood not that experienced, but you kind of want him in the team because he can be your X-factor bowler. He doesn't bowl as quickly as Wood, I know that. But he, do, he can be the point of difference bowler. And I think you want him to kind of be attacking and, and, and bowl, not bowl within himself at all. And I think if it does go wrong, I think you kind of do want Overton as your other seamer, as someone who will be dependable, is unlikely to go more than two and a half and over and alongside Robinson Anderson. I think you can afford yeah. that luxury of a mood if you've got Overton in the side. Yeah, I completely um, agree. I think that's, obviously, you lose the left armour, but I think you make up that balance in other ways. Yeah, well, we won't dwell much further than the test given it starts so soon. Um, a reminder, we will have our daily YouTube videos that you can watch, um, technology permitting, couple of hours after play each day before we go on with the show we're recording a lot of our podcasts at the moment from sixes cricket club if you've not heard about sixes sixes cricket club is the new cricket themed social entertainment venue with restaurant bar and cricket nets 
All Wisden Cricket Weekly podcast listeners can receive 10% off their food and drink by quoting Wisden 10 on their booking notes. There are a couple of locations in London and a new one opening up in Manchester very, very soon. Zaha, what's your moment of the week? Uh, my moment of the week was actually watching Liam Livingston in the flesh for the first time. It was kind of weird to think that. I thought I'd probably seen him back before, but it kind of dawned on me while watching him in the 100 final um, that I was kind of watching him for real for the first time. Uh, and he is just an exhilarating player to watch. He's kind of, he's had he's had an incredible summer um, for England and then to be the, the player of the tournament at the 100. Um, and he's got this sort of, there's an excitement about him that the, the the special players kind of exude and that you're you're watching Birmingham bat and you're kind of weighing, okay, Livingston's going to come, Livingston's going to come. And then he comes and then kind of delivers almost immediately. He just hits it harder than and and further away than, you know, any other cricketer in England right now. Um, he's, he's, a, he's a special, special player. And so Birmingham obviously had quite a, a big chase. Um, and he was the one who, who you thought, okay, if they're going to win this, it's Livingston's going to do it. And he was 40 off, you know, nothing. Um, and, and he was run out by Tim David. That's um, my moment of the week. Right. <laughs> from, you know, from, from basically from the boundary. He'd already um, taken an absolute one-handed screamer yeah. first up, hadn't he? Yeah. Without a squad number on his back. Yeah. And, um, and then, and then that was the game. It was, it was basically done them. Moeen, Moeen Ali was, was still at the other end and, uh, maybe a bit rusty with how he's batting. So you, you couldn't really see him. He'd, he'd, he would have had to improve the way he was batting, you know, significantly to take Birmingham over the line. But that, but that was the game there um and it was such a disappointment because it was kind of building up to a right 100 final livingston you know goes goes ballistic you know that that would be a really special memorable occasion and he just yeah the bells lit up and you're like it was a brilliantly entertaining moment that completely ruined the game wasn't it it was 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 kind of an odd like oh what a fantastically exhilarating moment and then actually the whole thing faded to to nothing i don't think anyone in that ground apart from maybe the players and coaching staff of the brave wanted that to happen (laughs) i think even brave fans wanted phoenix to get a bit closer there yeah yeah he's just so good to watch the moment I'm, i'm getting quite kind of strong Kevin Peterson, 2004, mm. 2005 vibes of that just arrival, and it looks like he can do anything, and it looks like he thinks he can do anything. There's that kind of that swagger, that posturing, uh, kind of ego. But I think Livingston's got a lot more charm about him than Peterson as well. There's a sort of like tongue-in-cheekness to it. I think people really like him. Yeah, which I there think, never was with with I, Peterson. I think supporters really like him. Mm. There've been a couple of moments. Uh, there was a moment when he was mic'd up in the Big Bash. Where he just showed that he's like quite a funny guy. He didn't, doesn't take himself that seriously. Um, and I thought there was almost like a Stokes-like quality to that innings. In that I was watching the game with a few people who aren't like massive into cricket. One of them is, I guess. But people shut up and watched him bat. Yeah. You know, people who aren't really into cricket. It's like this guy's like really compelling. It's Livingston just... signs up in the crowd as well. It's <laughs> yeah. like it's, it's an amazing few months for him because in within cricket, within sort of geeky cricket for want of a better phrase he's been talked about for a long time but now he has been kind of elevated to a completely different level and now he's potentially a couple of months away from being a, a kind of world superstar if he carries this yeah. form into the t20 world cup he will be that he's just got such a pure swing of the bat that i haven't seen you, you, sometimes it's just so mechanical with players but it's just so i don't know there's a thing about him where you might watch him and you think oh i might be able to do that 
You know, he just like he just swings it. From having really watched hard. you, I don't. I don't think. So, <laughs> thanks, so. Joe, thanks, Joe. Yeah. Cheers, cheers for that. Oh, I didn't think we were going to bring up that match. <laughs> no, no, actually. no. Let's, let's, let's not go there. Um, I didn't even bat. Um, but yeah, uh, he's just he's so fun to watch, and it's incredible because uh, a few months ago you'd have been he would have started the summer thinking, okay, whether he could make a case to even just get into that T Twenty World Cup squad, and now it's almost hard to see how he just doesn't. Like he has to be in that eleven, surely. It's, it's just, now just how you use him best, I think, is the yeah. question, rather than how you get him into the side. I yeah. think that that question has changed. And and also looking a little bit further ahead, um, we we're kind of discussing this earlier that, as I was saying, there's some Peterson vibes here, and I think as well that if England's Test cricket continues on the same path and Livingston has a standout T20 World Cup, then come an Ashes squad, I wouldn't be surprised if he's in there as a kind of a wild card pick basically because we've sort of exhausted the options that have actually scored any runs in Red Bull cricket. He looks like he's got the personality and character to see it, succeed out there. He's got no fear of fast bowling. And we're not talking about a guy who has no Red Bull record. He's he's toured with England's test side before in, in New Zealand, was very close, very unlucky not to get a test debut. Uh, he hasn't played much Red Bull cricket for ages, but then neither is Milan and he's back in at number three in a, in a marquee test series. So it might sound ridiculous and the skills are clearly not transferable in so many ways and it might all go to all go wrong in a kind of Jason Roy style way but I I don't think it's that unlikely at this stage and it would be it'd be pretty exciting and to if see. It, if there's one place in the world you think a white like a white ball superstar who hasn't played much red ball cricket could possibly thrive it is probably Australia as well true pitches ball doesn't do quite as much as it does elsewhere. So yeah that is very exciting. But yeah the, the 100 came to a thrilling end this weekend. Uh, we had the eliminators and the finals. Um, and I thought what was most remarkable actually is we got two full games in, given the forecast, which was great. Um, bit of a shame that two finals weren't that close, but a great spectacle nevertheless. I thought it was worth mentioning a couple of the lesser, well, not quite as well-known names who did really well in the final. Ross Whiteley doing what he's been doing in the blast for a long time with a rapid 44 at the death. And you mentioned Tim David, but it was with the bat as well, 15 off six, um, as well as that brilliant catch and that direct hit. The women's final was done and dusted pretty quickly. Southern Brave, the standout side in the group stage, were blown away by Oval Invincibles, who had them 14 for 6 at one stage in the run chase. Marazan capped the star, scoring a quick 26 and then taking 4 for 9 with the ball. A quick word on Alice Capsey, by the way, who turned 17 during the tournament. Um, she finished it, She finished as Oval's second leading run scorer. Of the Oval batters to face 50 or more balls, she had the highest strike rate. And she also took 10 wickets at 12 with an economy rate of less than six, just, which uh, is just ridiculous. Just just on that um, that women's final, um, all those people who might be complaining about, you know, who, who are traditionalists and might be complaining about the 100. Um, Marazan Cap had Sophia Dunkley, who's had an incredible summer, caught at second slip. Um, and I just thought that was just a nice little touch in the, in the final, the first final of the 100. <laughs> yeah. Joe, you want to talk about Adam Milne? Uh, yeah, just, I mean, I've watched him for a number of years and he's obviously always been a very kind of exciting box office bowler. A little bit hit and miss, uh, is how I've kind of characterized him. Uh, he was very much hit pretty much every ball of the whole competition. Joint leading wicket taker for the tournament, uh, going at under a, a runner ball, uh, and bowling about 90 miles an hour on average, um, just hitting those Yorkers at will, uh, it's pretty astonishing that he's in New Zealand's he's New Zealand's standby player, isn't he, for their T Twenty World Cup squad? Um, I mean, I know they've got plenty of good seamers, but uh, I think he'd be in any team in the world at the moment. I'm sure England would dearly love to to have him. Uh, just yeah, so impressive. And I thought, you know, he's he's 
he's probably he's not your A-lister. He's not your Andre Russell. He's not your Kieran Pollard. But in terms of the skills he showed in that tournament, you wouldn't see any better in any tournament across the world. Um, and I thought that Phoenix attack was... They had, Phoenix's w- batting was definitely their strength. They didn't have the strongest at bowling attack. And he really carried them along with Benny Howe. Uh, through the through the group stage and into the into the final, um, we were hoping to speak to Tash Farrant, who's part of the Oval side. Um, we couldn't speak to her in time for today's show, but we will by the next episode after the third England India Test match. Um, I think this is obviously got a good time to kind of talk about what we thought about the hundred overall. Um, the ECB announced some headline numbers. Uh, I'm not sure we can really make of them, um, but I'll, I'll read them out and see what you think of them. So 57% of viewers hadn't watched any other live ECB cricket in 2021. There were 16.1 million people who watched it in the UK, which is more than the 2019 Men's World Cup. 55% of ticket buyers hadn't bought a ticket for cricket in this country before. And attendance across the competition is the highest ever for a women's cricket event globally ever which is obviously brilliant. I didn't read out the numbers I was a bit more sceptical about. There was a there was a number they, they, they cited for the number of social media views they had, which was 34 million, which I actually don't think is that much, given that you've got so many highlights you can put up and show sure. the world. Sure, well, but that's because you work in social media. Yeah. Other people were like, wow, <laughs> yeah. that's a huge number. Yeah. So I, I was impressed. And <laughs> also, app downloads, you had to buy the app to go to the game, so obviously people had to... Yeah, they were the winning app. that yeah. one, weren't they? <laughs> they were going to win that one. Um, but, oh, but overall, <laughs> yeah. Joe, a year in, what are your impressions? Um, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I thought the cricket was good. Uh, the women's form, uh, competition was a revelation. Uh, we used the word game changer, a uh, nauseating amount. But I think in this sense, it was another example of, of that. Um, I, I really enjoyed what I watched. Um, uh, and uh, we've talked about this, about this before a little bit, but I was surprised and pleased by the, the level of support that the local teams got. I thought Crowds really seemed to get behind them, buying up the merchandise, getting behind local players. That was really encouraging, and I think something I didn't necessarily expect to see in the in, in year one. Um, and I thought it all ran a lot more smoothly. We we chatted about some of the things that we thought might be an issue, like like timing and and basically whether everyone would know the rules <laughs> to start with, or how quickly umpires would get up to speed. But I thought that all went much more smoothly than, to be honest, I I expected. Um, so in terms of the actual product of what I saw, I, I wouldn't really have any quibbles with it. The, the major questions of, of the ripple effect it has in terms of England's test fortunes, um, which, I mean, well, let's be honest, we're on the slide before the 100 arrived anyway. Um, and perhaps most importantly, the impact it has on the 18-county model uh, is still very much up for grabs. I saw Harry Gurney tweeting the other day saying that the success of the 100 proves that the blast should be is kind of all, almost already obsolete. Did you see this? No, I didn't know. Um, which, you know, he's he's played in the blast. He knows what he's talking about, but he is there already expressing the greatest fears of some county fans. And we've barely, we haven't even got through the first uh, edition of the 100 at that point. So that I can absolutely understand if you're a fan uh, of a county and, and you feel like you're getting marginalised, why you would feel like that. Absolutely. And that is a, an ongoing concern. But if, if we're looking at it, in isolation as a tournament and how enjoyable it was. I thought it was a, a, a big success. Yeah, I think, I mean, I'd just echo everything Joe would say. I think that the women's competition has been the been the main thing. I mean, it, we, by the end, we, we kind of got used to just seeing, you know, thousands of people at women's domestic cricket match, which a year ago, I mean, it, it was just weird how we just got kind of used to it. Just, it just flicked like that from the first game and, and, and that was that. And it was, 
it was incredible to see how much it meant to the those women's players as well to to be there because you they must have had the understanding that we're we're part of something really special here um and that's that's different from the men's competition because those guys are those guys have played in front of these kind of crowds before um you know they've played these kind of big finals before um but you sense that on at lords so um the other day just how how big an occasion uh, occasion it all was um also with the uh the the merchandise thing um i was i was with the i, I went as a fan to the uh, to the eliminator and i saw how crestfallen one of my good friends was when uh, he discovered the the oval invincibles bucket hats had sold out oh no yeah what a shame just another just another quick positive from it as well i thought the um the blast wildcard thing worked brilliantly mm. some of the names that came through that uh blake cullen one at middlesex who i spoke to just yesterday actually a very impressive young man impressive young bowler who i think is going to go far in the game uh jake lintop was another wildcard pick right yeah that that is a really good thing in itself because it ties the two competitions together it, it gives a bit more to the blast and i think anything they can do to promote that as the competition's going on that commentators should be mentioning it after performances in the blast just to tie the two things together so it, it doesn't necessarily feel like one is eating the other whole, they actually can complement each other. Um, so that's another thing that I think worked well and could be even emphasised in mm. the future. On the women's competition, Charlotte Edwards literally said yesterday that the tournament has single-handedly changed women's cricket in this country. And I thought it was quite interesting. So Tom Harrison and Sanjay Patel, the ECB and 100 bosses respectively, did a media briefing yesterday. I thought one of the things that was interesting was they were visibly surprised at how successful the double headers were so double headers weren't originally supposed to happen it was a covid enforced policy and they the 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 actual crowd sizes for the women's game massively surpassed their expectations um and it sounds like it might even change how they schedule international women's cricket in this country because england women just don't play in big cities they've not played i think i've said this stat before in the podcast but they've not played a, a single game in the uk uh in a city with a population of over a million since they won the World Cup. They've not played a game in London since they won the World Cup. They very, very rarely play north of the Midlands. So I think that that all has to change. Now there's evidence that you can get a big crowd for um, high-profile women's cricket. Another thing they touched on, they kind of vaguely alluded to learnings without really going into specifics. But the one learning they did talk about in, in a bit of detail actually was what the makeup of the crowd is like. They said that the crowd's often weren't as family friendly as they could have been. And that was something they'd pinpointed as something being really key. And Tar, you've noticed a couple of times that, that they're not making that up. That is definitely true. Yeah, no, this is hundred um, percent. I've seen it from, I've seen it from the press box um, where you've, you know, you see all these kids, um, families at, at the women's games. Um, and it's, it's quite a, quite a nice wholesome atmosphere. Uh, and then, you know, you know, the night sort of begins with the with the men's games and it becomes I was, I was at Lords a few weeks ago and it felt like I was at Freshers Week when I was leaving. It was a bit it was a bit much for me. Um and then I was I was in the in the stands for the the Eliminator games and uh, me and my friends were really enjoying the um um the women's game and then, you know, switch switch flicks once more with the with the men's games and it and it got a bit it was you know weird we weren't really enjoying where we were sat uh, because of the behavior of some individuals. So I've kind of seen it now and it's, it's when it, when a tor tournament is so heavily focused on trying to, trying to appeal to families, it's, you know, if I've, if I was with, you know, with my parents or something, I would have just gone kind of left where I was sitting because of the behavior of people um, in front of me. Um, and so, yeah, I, I thought it was interesting that Tom Harrison kind of, 
you know, made this point about antisocial behavior. Um, and so if that's a learning, what's the, what's yeah, the solution? The thing, yeah, I don't even know. Yeah, the I'm, I'm not sure. And also, what's the implication? That, 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 isn't that not also saying then your other cricket crowds aren't accessible enough? It's an interesting problem to kind of notice um, and then potentially not do anything about, um, which, is, which is interesting. A um, couple of other points I thought worth talking about. A few players have talked about the kind of the standard of the competition and they have kind of all said that there was a noticeable step on co- step up in quality. We'll hear from Lindsay later, but he, he talks about that. And then the other thing that Harrison and Patel mentioned is they admitted that the schedule wasn't ideal, which I think we could all work out. Um, so I was wondering what your must-haves would be if you were creating your own schedule. What do you think you'd change? Ideal world, Joe Harmon, Ty Ashing, you're, you're in charge of the ECB. What are, your, what are the must-haves in their cricket schedule? For the whole of the domestic season? Yeah. I think you should have prepped me for this one, yes? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, well, I think we've got to get some four day cricket in the heart of summer. Yeah. Uh, I think that's got to be non-negotiable. How it is negotiated to happen is, is a different thing altogether. I I don't see the hundred moving really. I think that's going to stay where it is. Maybe you can start the blast a bit earlier. Um, so you, you have a bit of a chunk of, uh, four day cricket start with, then you get into the blast a bit quicker than you have done previously. And then you go back to four day cricket problem with that is we know the players hate jumping from one format to the next so this is the problem this is you 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 need to sit down with an enormous sheet of paper and try about 40 different solutions before you can find which actually is what we're going to try and do in the magazine in the next few months as well similarly to us uh rewriting the world test championship which we still haven't heard from the icc on that one actually <laughs> really? but wow. anyway i'm sure the ucb <laughs> will be interested to hear our views on how to uh, to revamp the domestic schedule but you know there are, you're never going to get to a point where everyone is happy uh i thought actually it was interesting speaking to joe cook of glamorgan who was the kind of st- their standout player or one of their standout players in their one day cup victory and he really enjoyed the one day cup experience and he didn't feel like being part of it, they were sidelined. He felt like the, the, the crowds were good, which is which is what I've heard in general. They got a decent crowd even on a Thursday to to the final, uh, and they didn't feel like they were playing on the fringes whilst this big thing was going on because there was enough interest in it from people who who did still really care. So I think you can hopefully get to a point where there is such a wide range of cricket fans that even if there is cricket on at the same time, that's not necessarily a problem. You just pick the thing that suits you. Or you flip between the two and that, that doesn't have to be a problem. But I think whatever you do, one one or two competitions are going to be downgraded. Like it's just something, something has to take a hit. Like, Sure, it's just encouraging yeah. the one day cup has clearly been downgraded. Yeah. But it hasn't necessarily felt exactly like that to the people involved, whether they're playing it, whether they're watching it. Um, and yeah, I mean, the concern is... The, the blast has a much more prized position in county cricket. So if that is perceived to be downgraded in any way, that is going to cause a lot of fuss and, 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 and rightly so. Um, well, we've got a pre-recorded interview with Jake Linter. Uh, he had a great tournament, uh, very economical. Only four bowlers took more wickets than him. Earlier this year, he didn't even have a professional contract. Now he's a quarter finalist in the blast of Warwickshire, a winner at the 100 and is about to jet off to the CPL for the first time where we'll play for Barbados. Great to have you on the show. Uh, you've had a whirlwind eight or so months. When we last spoke in January, you didn't have a contract for 2021. Now you're a quarter finalist in the blast, a winner of the inaugural 100, and you're about to jet off to the Caribbean for the CPL. Is this beyond what you even dreamt of at the start of the year? Yeah, I'd be lying if I said it It wasn't. So it's gone very well. Obviously, it's been an amazing 
um, year or so, really, in terms of when I first started playing for Warwickshire all the way through to now. So, um, yeah, it's been a, a real whirlwind, like you say. It's been an exciting time and really proud of um, everything that's happened in the last last year or so. Mm. What was it like working under Mahela Jai Warner at the Southern Brave? He's, he's a man who's being dubbed as the, the Pep Guardiola of T20 cricket. Yeah, it was um, it was brilliant. I mean, he he's obviously one of the best players to ever play the game, which naturally a lot of respect comes with that. And um, but it was really interesting to see how he went about his business. Um, very relaxed in terms of um, preparation and um, and how how he expects us to prepare. So there was no real like pressure on us to be training all the time and 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 putting you know working flat out because it was more about doing what we needed to do to to be ready so he trusted trusted his players and um yeah you felt really trusted under him and then the the tactical side of it and the the planning that he puts in is is he's pretty meticulous in that regard mm. as, as as a wrist in bowler does that clarity help you when you get out on the field yeah 100 percent. he's um he's worked with me ever since i played my first game really in terms of just making sure I'm focusing on the next ball. That's been a big thing for me because ultimately in this game, things can change pretty quickly. And um, I found early on in the in the first game I played at Cardiff that I bowled an over at Ben Duckett and things got a little bit away from me. And the, the learning from that was very much about, right, how how do you stop that from happening and how do you stop like batters getting on top of you? So we've worked a little bit on that, but he's put a lot of faith in me and I've made it sort of no secret ever since I made my debut for Warwickshire. That's been big for me as people backing me and um, feeling a hundred percent a part of things. And I feel that that allows me to go out and express myself, enjoy my cricket and ultimately execute my skills to the best of my ability. Crick Info's Matt Roller asks, does the Jay Ling celebration only come out in finals now? Talk us through that moment, this missing Moeen Ali in a Lords final, then that celebration. Yeah, he's probably right. I probably need to save it for a special occasion. It's shocking, really. But um, I, um, yeah, I saw Carlos Brathwaite in the warm-up, actually, and he said, he asked me if it was coming out because originally it was his idea um, when we first started the T20 Blast. He's a big United fan. And um, so he was happy with it. So he gave me the go-ahead to do it for Warwickshire. And then, um, yeah, I just, you know, as soon as I took that wicket, it was just like instant emotion, really. It was like, okay, this is this is unbelievable, really, to take take a wicket at Lords in a final, and um, it was obviously a pretty key wicket in Moeen Ali. So, yeah, just sort of lost lost my head a little bit and <laughs> and let all that emotion out, and um, yeah, gave gave him what he wanted. <laughs> no, it was great. We need more of that in cricket, definitely. Everyone knows that you're you're off to the CPL. You're involved in the Blast, and you, you just won the hundred. Um, but there's another cricket tournament you're you're involved with this week. Talk us through your, your busy week of cricket, including what you're doing on Saturday. Yeah, so uh, I've had a couple of days at home now, which has been really nice because it's obviously been uh, five weeks away um, in hotels, really. So it's been nice to spend some time with family, um, recharge, and luckily Warwickshire give me a couple of days off. And then we'll go in. Um, I think I'm joining up tomorrow morning, so we'll train Wednesday. Uh, train Thursday and then travel to Kent and then we play the quarterfinal against Kent which is going to be um, a really really tough game for us like they're a really strong white ball outfit and um, but we'll go there with a lot of confidence so that's a really exciting opportunity and the chance to be, get to finals day at Edgebaston which as a Warwickshire player doesn't get much better um, and then yeah on Saturday my club are, my club are playing and they're top of the league and 
Um, I've, I've actually missed playing club cricket because I've played it my whole life. So I haven't played much for the last few months. So I've missed that side of things, the, the banter with the boys. And, and ultimately, I've played a lot of my cricket through club cricket and I've got a lot of respect for it. So, yeah, I'm going to go back and play for them. Um, we're top of the table, so we just need to win uh, and get a few more points than the team below us. And we should be, should be good. So that'll be good. And then Sunday morning, nice and early, I'm flying to the Caribbean. Um, to take part in the CPL. So it's going to be a busy few days, but wouldn't have it any other way. Amazing. Amazing. Um, on the 100 again, how did you find the competition from a playing point of view? Did you feel like it was a step up from the blast? Yeah, definitely. Huge step. Um, and I think players who played in it realised that. Um, and I think watching it as well, you could see the the, the quality of the, the cricket being played. I just found like from a bowling perspective, as soon as you miss length for you, or you or you bowl a bad ball, it's it's out of the park and, and there's no there's no miss hits. They don't they don't miss hit. So um that was the biggest step up for me I found. So just had to be really disciplined in my execution and, and that um obviously went pretty well throughout, but there was still times obviously where I found it really hard and I haven't really come up against come up against that in the blast yet. So um yeah it was really good. but then also the crowds and the atmosphere and the, the intensity around it I found that I've never I've never see, seen an intensity like it like my dad came up on the train and he there was just like people flooding into Lords from all angles and it's just a pretty special time for cricket I think it's there's a real buzz about it and it's created a, a great environment for both women's and men's cricket at the moment how aware of that buzz were you during the tournament you know the, the it's not often, it's been years since domestic cricket's been on free-to-air television, playing in front of literally millions on the BBC. Were you aware of that increased attention? 100%. I think I've had a lot more messages than before. Like, my phone's been been pretty manic. Like, every game we've played, it's the, the support from everyone, friends and family has been massive and everyone's been able to watch it. Um, but then also just, like, around the ground, like, walking to the to the nets and there's a, such a buzz amongst kids and, and it's great to see them all sort of relating to it and, and getting fully involved with it. So definitely a feeling like I've never experienced. I haven't experienced that within the blast. Um, so yeah, it's just a heightened sort of um, excitement really, which has been awesome to see. Mm. Um, and yeah, as you mentioned, you're jetting off to the Caribbean on Sunday. How do you find out about the CPL gig? Yeah, it came about. There was a chance that I was going to go um, go earlier on in the in the hundred, but then I heard then I wasn't looking likely to go because I was going to miss the first three games of the tournament because of the quarterfinal. Um, but luckily, um, having I guess having performed quite well, um, Barbados were keen keen to take me and and happy with the fact that I'd missed the first three and play the last seven. Um, and obviously Dan Vittori is the head coach. So I did well against the Phoenix um, and that might have played a part. I don't know, but yeah, there was, there's a, obviously it was um, awesome to get that, that call and, and get that opportunity. I'm really grateful to Warwickshire actually, because, you know, it'd be easy for them to, to not let me go. We've got quite a big September coming up with championship fixtures and really, I'm um, really fortunate that Mark Robinson and Paul Farbrace have been so supportive um, and and allowing me to go and play in, in this tournament because it's obviously a fantastic opportunity and um, you know hopefully if I can put in some really good performances out there more opportunities will come up. Mm. 
Um, and finally, your your Twitter bio still reads director of cricket at the school you work for. Has, has the speed of your success this year meant that you've had to change any of your plans reteaching? Which, when we spoke earlier in the year, you were very keen to still do. Yeah, no, it's um, it's definitely changed things. I, 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 it's been hard to to do both jobs this year. Everything sort of with the hundred coming in and um, preparing for the blast prior to that in term time. Um, it was challenging. So I think my plan is to um, step back a little bit from the school stuff, um, but still try and get in when I can, because obviously that school have done a huge amount for me, both um, from a career perspective, but also as a student coming through. So I'm really keen to give back to those kids. And obviously um, it'll be great to see them having having done well and, and get in and, and try and help them a, a little bit throughout the winter. So um, yeah, hopefully... Um, I'll still get the chance to go in, but I'm planning, hopefully going to be quite busy this winter and, and, and the time would just make it too challenging, really. Just one interesting thing from my chat with him uh, was that the, the he's playing club cricket this Saturday. That's great. The day before he's going to the Caribbean Premier League and the day after he's playing in the Blast. <laughs> it's it's amazing. fantastic. And it sums up his, his whole story, really. This is one of County Cricket's great stories. And it is, I was, a couple of my mates came to the Eliminator final on Friday and I was telling them, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a teacher. He's just got a contract. He was teaching early this year. And like that, they're like, really? Because that, that doesn't happen in other sports, really. Not, not big professional sports where there's not money floating about that doesn't really happen and now the fact he's jetting off to the caribbean it's just it's just perfect and obviously you've interviewed him a couple of times now you've been there right from the start haven't you yes you and him i've I've, I've been his biggest cheerleader (laughs) yeah i saw him uh it was actually quite sweet after the eliminator i saw him um signing shirts for little kids just handing them out i think he was one of the few players i saw doing that and so he's kind of he's you know he's living the moment why would you uh what that has been um moving on Glamorgan won their first piece of silverware in 17 years as they won the Royal London One Day Cup. They beat Durham reasonably comfortably in the final with skipper Kieran Carlson scoring 82 off 59 at number four. I caught up with Carlson, who captained his side to the trophy at the age of 23 about a season, uh, where he's been one of the leading Red Bull batters in the country and how he felt the One Day Cup has been alongside the 100 and much more. Kieran, great to have you on the show. Uh, a fantastic week for yourself, fantastic week for the club. 80-odd in a cup final, skippering aside to the first trophy in 17 years. What do you think was key to your success as a side across the tournament? Um, I think we just all bought into the fact that we're here to prove a point. I think as a team, I think we were, we kind of knew that there were kind of teams, obviously with maybe stronger teams on paper, but yeah, we knew that what, what we had to do was, everyone was just very excited about it, to be honest. I think it was, it was one of those comps where we didn't think it was kind of second rate. We wanted to play and win games cricket for Glamorgan. I think that's just what kept us going. We love winning games and best feeling you can get as a cricketer. So I think we just were so dedicated to that and then wanted to do everything in our power to kind of win as many games as we could. As a skipper, what was it like seeing some players who might not have had that many opportunities in other formats um, really stepping up to the increased opportunity so for example Joe Cook I think ended up as a one of the tournament's leading wicket takers he got that 60 odd as well really important 60 odd at the back end of the tournament yeah I mean he hasn't bowled all year so I'm not I, I, we always knew he's kind of a bowler in terms of like he has the talent there but yeah I think with obviously injuries and other people unavailable he had to really kind of step up and be that be that seamer for us and by the end of the competition he was my my go-to man almost in the middle period so I mean, what he's done is he's just shown what is possible when you do kind of take that opportunity and 
and grasp it with both hands. And for him, I'm so pleased because he's obviously a great guy around the team as well. He's so committed to Morgan. I think he has all the talent to a very long and uh, successful career. There was a lot of talk about how the, the one-day cut would be different this year with a lot of players missing through the 100. How did you find it personally? And do you think it's feasible for the two comps to be played alongside each other in the future? Yeah, I mean, it was obviously different at times. I think there were obviously some teams that were affected slightly more than others in terms of there was new new players playing and the kind of faces you may not have recognised. But there was still, the standard of cricket was still very high, in my opinion. I think there was still obviously world-class players playing on either, on either teams. And I think if it is going to be played alongside it, then I think it's, this year showed that the standard of cricket can be high and it can be exciting and, and people do kind of get behind it. Obviously, it is a little shame when people that maybe aren't playing in the hundreds aren't playing for their counties. I'm not sure if that could be kind of resolved some way, but I think that's the only thing that is um, is maybe a little bit of a, a tricky issue with which may have to be resolved. But yeah, no, I think the standard of cricket was was high enough for it to be to be feasible in the future. We've got a couple of questions from our listeners. Joe Evans, he asks, how did Glamorgan enjoy the county championship league structure this season with the conferences? Um, playing Division One opposition, um, which is obviously different to how it has been for quite a long time. Yeah, I think we as a club really enjoyed it. I think it's it gives bigger opportunity to lads to kind of play against those big counties. I mean, we played against Lancashire and Yorkshire, which are two probably two of the biggest counties in the country. And I think we kind of almost stepped our, our game up from there, and I think we kind of put up good competition to them and any the other guys in our group. And I think. It is kind of a testament to show that there may not be that much of a discrepancy between Div 1 and Div 2. And I think that's that's a good thing. I think the only way that County Cricket is going to keep improving if, it's, if, it, if every club kind of keeps improving together. Although I'm not sure if it's going to remain the same for next year or, what, or what's going to happen. But yeah, from our point of view, we love the chance to be able to play against those bigger counties with kind of the bigger names. And it, it feels it, it makes us better as players. And because that's what, that's what we want to do at the end of the day. So, yeah, we've, we've really enjoyed it. And then on a personal level, you've had a great year so far. In the Championship, you averaged 65 with a strike rate of 69. What's, what's clicked for you this summer? Uh, you recently completed a degree. Has that coming to an end helped you? Yeah, I think that was, that's definitely part of it. I think I, was, I got all my exams. Well, I was doing my exams during the season this year, but because it was all online, I, I didn't have to miss anything and I kind of could do it in and around it. But yeah, I think this year it's just been very clear from my perspective. Just go out there and try and score as many runs as I can, and I think that's helped. There's no, there's no kind of, yeah, fifty-fifty there. I kind of I know that if I'm going to be be aggressive and, and nick off, I'm going to do it. But hopefully, I score more runs than I, than I do when nicking off early. But no, it's it's been good, and I think look, I've been supported from the coaching staff and all the staff at Glamorgan. I think that's that's a massive part of it. And we've done well as a team as well. I mean, I think that's that always helps. I think when you're when you're struggling as a team, everything kind of seems to go bad for people personally as well. So I think the fact we are playing well as a team is a good kind of team feeling. It allows people to probably play freely and, and enjoy their cricket, which is ultimately when I play my best. And just a final question about someone who everyone in the world will know about, Manus Labuschagne. What's it like sharing a dressing room with not only one of the best cricketers on the planet, but also one of the most eccentric ones as well? Yeah, I think it can be definitely pretty loud at times. He is eccentric, as you say, but look, he's one of those guys where he's constantly trying to improve his game and he kind of drags you along with him. There are times, obviously, he shadow bats the whole time and he's very kind of, like you say, he has he has his own quirks, but 
I think for us, he's brilliant because he's he's so hungry to do well and he's so hungry to kind of take you along with him. And yeah, it's been great. I mean, I hope he stays for a long time. He's a great guy, and and yeah, he's he might be a bit weird at times, but I think everyone everyone who plays cricket is a bit weird. So that's that's right. <laughs> what's it? What's he like to bat with out in the middle? Yeah, he's he's actually surprisingly relaxed. I think he's he, he knows his game so well now for a young guy that he kind of knows what he's trying to do. He tried he tries to bat with you how you want to bat you want to be batted with. So he knows that I'm more relaxed. He tries to be relaxed with me, but with other guys he kind of changes it. And I think he's obviously turned into this this superstar in world cricket, and I think he will continue to excel and keep pushing those boundaries of kind of what a good average is in test cricket. I think he's, his chat is he doesn't want it to be, if, if you average 50, you're a, you're a legend, he wants it to be 60 or 70. So I think that's, that just shows how like progressive he is in his, in his thinking and he, there's no ceiling to where he wants to go in terms of cricket. One other piece of news around the English game that I think is quite interesting, there's not a huge amount to discuss on it, is a story that Ali Martin broke in The Guardian um, today. So I'm just, I'll read a quote from the story. Tom Harrison and a group of senior executives at the ECB appointed to share a projected £2.1 million bonus pot despite making 62 job cuts last year in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. The most recent ECB accounts show that a five-year long-term incentive plan is due to be settled in cash in 2022 with The Guardian having learned that Harrison, the board's chief executive who was paid £510,000 last year despite a voluntary pay cut and Sanjay Patel, the managing director of the 100 are among its intended recipients. As the piece alludes to, uh, given the, the cuts that the ECB in the last year, the cuts that players had as well, just the, the timing seems a bit jarring. Yeah, good scoop that from Ali. Uh, good story, or I mean, or bad story, whichever way you want to <laughs> look at it. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised at that. I think the ECB had been pretty good at managing the optics over the last year or 18 months or so. Uh, and yeah, this 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 one doesn't look so good. Mm. Um, moving on, Joe, what's your moment of the week? Uh, so mine is a feel-good story from Australia with uh, Australian cricket in in crisis. Uh, Justin Langer has received the dreaded vote of confidence from oh, no. Cricket Australia. Uh, they released a statement saying Justin has done an incredible job in raising the culture, values, and behaviours of the Australian men's team since he took on the role in 2018. His efforts have restored public faith in the national team, which is a side all Australians can be incredibly proud of. Uh, they go on to say, despite those challenges over the last 18 months, the side has had great success in one-day test and T20 cricket when all players were available. The great success in test cricket is interesting because in the period they're talking about, they've only played one series, which they lost at home to a heavily depleted Indian side. So that's slightly odd, but there is a feeling, a growing sense that the players don't want him at least a section of the players don't want him. The Aussie press, from what I've read, seem thoroughly fed up of him. Um, and his style of coaching is, has really started to, to grate on people. And, and you can tell that from the number of leaks that have uh, have started to come out of the camp. There was the, the recent one where him and, and the Australian team manager were kind of seen berating Cricket Australia's digital journalist uh, for publishing a video of Bangladesh celebrating their T20 series victory over Australia. Um, which is Cricket Australia's website's job. They are kind of a, an odd sort of quasi-independent thing. That's what they do. Uh, if you're picking fights with a digital journalist, it suggests there might be other area of concern that that, that might be causing that. Um, and yeah, the, the players are clearly unhappy. Um, there's a good piece by Sam Perry on the Guardian website um, yesterday 
in which he says he reports that Tim Payne, Pat Cummins, and Aaron Finch were preparing for a meeting to kind of have the opportunity to com- to communicate their concerns to Cricket Australia. But then the public vote of confidence came out before they'd even had those meetings. So essentially, their views are, are meaningless in, in in that context. Um, so this support, while it is there, it feels shaky. It feels like if they flunk out of the T20 World Cup, which based on recent form is very possible, uh, things might get quite interesting. We might be kind of back to Mickey Arthur 2013, who was sacked as Australia coach, what, three weeks before the Ashes started? Yeah. Um, I guess the difference is this time, they're, however badly they might be doing, they still would go into that series as, as favourites. And that's what Sam Perry says. He says that at this point, Australia could coach themselves to victory over this England team. And, and, he's, and he's probably right. Um, but, you know, perhaps as, as we're in slightly in the doldrums in test cricket at the moment in England, there is a sort of glimmer of hope that the Aussies might implode and, and let us in the back door and maybe we can sneak a win or two. Uh, well, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> I'm not sure about that. Either way. I mean, Langer, he's, he's watching that um, documentary on Amazon. Uh, I mean, his coaching style would certainly grate on me and it would have taken quite a lot less time than it's taken the Australian players to get pissed off but he has got this playing record behind him which which kind of all makes makes him uh, untouchable almost. untouchable but that, that all seems to be rubbing off and uh he's uh definitely in in the press's crosshairs and some of the players too it seems mm. um malcolm con who used to be the cricket australia media manager he wrote a, a, a really scathing piece about what it's like to work with langer which is actually something you don't really ever get to see get publicly aired whilst the guy's still in their job well, yeah, it was a kind of it was almost like a kind of expose, wasn't it? And mm. Langer must have been livid about that as well, because he would have seen Malcolm Connors kind of in his inner sanctum, and then he leaves, and and this is all put out there. But you know, that is, if you employ a journalist to be your your media manager, and then he moves on, this is the sort of thing that's going to happen. And and Malcolm Connors completely within his rights to to do so, and is interesting, and and really reinforced uh, the sense that yeah, all is not well. Mm. Moving on, um, a plug for Botham Dinners to celebrate the 40th anniversary of Botham's Ashes. The Sporting Club are running a series of dinners over the course of the summer. The next two are coming up at the Oval on the 9th of September and Headingley on the 15th of September. Head to the Sporting Club website to get your tickets. Last week, Yorkshire released a statement regarding their investigation into allegations of racism at the club. Um, I'm not going to read the entirety out. I'll read um, some of the most relevant bits out now. In September 2020, Yorkshire County Cricket Club launched a full investigation into allegations of racism made by former player Azeem Rafiq spanning back to 2008. We aim to publish as much of the report and recommendations as we are able, subject to any legal restraints on doing so in the coming weeks. It is right, however, to acknowledge from the outset that several of the allegations made by Azeem were upheld and that sadly, historically, Azim was the victim of inappropriate behaviour. This is clearly unacceptable. We would like to express our profound apologies for this. Um, Rafik has since said in an interview with ESPN Quick Info that, the, that he thinks that the positions of Yorkshire Chief Executive Mark Arthur and the club's director of cricket, Martin Moxon, are untenable. Um, I don't think there's a huge amount that we can add ourselves until we've seen the report. But is there anything either of you would like to say on that? This week's going to be a, a jarring one because we, we know the match is going to be at Headingley. Um, I think England have said they're going to wear those T-shirts again, which from from the outside of feel felt a bit a bit hollow, um, especially when you know they took the knee last summer. 
stopped taking the knee and now it's almost like a I don't know an alternative way to to not take that gesture um it's just going to be a, a, an odd experience it's very odd we're all stuck in limbo with this story uh because Yorkshire haven't let anyone see the report I know the ECB have requested it I don't know if that's happened yet uh I understand they were pretty livid that they hadn't been able to see the report when they're trying to do lots of positive work about tackling discrimination and opening up the game this is not only really bad news from Yorkshire's point of view it, it looks terrible from the from the whole game's perspective Joe Root spoke really well about it in the lead up to this test match uh, and his understanding of Azim Rafiq's like how hurt he is by all of this and how I mean that term inappropriate behavior which Azim Rafiq called out himself and said that is no way sums up what happened it was completely wrong I mean I can't believe that has actually passed through however many people it's been looked at and they decide inappropriate behavior is the right term to use there I mean maybe it's it's been botched every step of the way so far um and yeah, we're still we're still none the wiser really, other than the few leaks that have come out. What um what they're going to do about it? And over a year since Tars article was first published as well, um, which is, which is crazy. Um, finally, West Indies Pakistan, the second and final test of that series is going on at the moment. We're recording this just before the start of day five. It started disastrously for Pakistan. Kemar Roach and Jaden Seals reduced them to two for three on the first morning. And then Babar Azam and Fawad Alam led the recovery. Babar with 75 and Fawad Alam with his fifth 100 in Test cricket in just 13 matches. Um, a Shaheen Sixfer helped bowl West Indies out for 150 after the second day is washed out. And then Pakistan declared on day four, leading, leaving West Indies with... 329 to win with a bit of rain around on the final day, but it's arguably quite a generous declaration. They've given them plenty of time to get the runs if they wish to go for them. Um, West Indies finished day five, one down. Kieran Powell was run out for 23, coming back for a third, not grounding his bat. And that wasn't even the funniest dismissal from day four, actually. Um, when when Pakistan were, were going for some quick runs towards the end of their innings, uh, Craig Brathwaite bowled a 37-mile-per-hour moon ball to Azarali that he just got a top edge and it spooned so slowly to short fine leg. Um, worth finding a clip of that if you can. Um, anyway, that's all we've got time for on today's show. This has been the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Taha. We'll be back next week to look back at the third England-India Test match. Cheers. Podcast Network.